Carry confidence with you. L3 Harris provides ultra-reliable portables and mobiles that are designed by and for those on the front lines. Learn more at www.l3harris.com. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, thanks for listening. Hey, are we doing the best job in teaching the current era of law enforcement candidate slash recruit? Should we change styles and methods of pedagogy to focus techniques that millennials and Generation Zers understand and experience in higher education? Well, in June, fellow cop, former FTO professor and colleague Janae Gasparini and I were selected to present teaching university-level pedagogy to law enforcement recruits at the Field Training Officers National Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a great experience with good participation and general interest by many of the FTOs who attended our sessions. Janae Gasparini, PhD, has been teaching collegiate criminal justice courses since 2009. She's been instructing at the State University of New York, Ulster, in 2009, And in 2015, she accepted a full-time position instructing in and chairing the criminal justice and security program at SEUNY Duchess, where she was tenured in 2020. From 2020 to 21, she is an assistant professor of criminal justice at SUNY Ulster, where she also coordinates the basic police training academy program. Outside of academia, Gasparini has been certified Uh, As a New York State police instructor since 2007, she's taught on a variety of topics at several police academies, and she's also a certified women's self-defense instructor, police physical fitness instructor, and a police ethics instructor. Well, welcome to Policing Matters again, Dr. Janae Gasparini. Oh, thank you so much. Always great to be here with you, Jim. Yeah, so it was really, uh, you know, I get these things across my desk from time to time about um, calls for presentations and, um, you know, some of the IACP, PERF and and other associations uh, call for, you know, a change up uh, from the usual, from the, you know, the law instruction or um, some self-defense or what have you, maybe some new technology. Uh, We got together and presented, um, bringing our university level instruction experience to policing, to the academies and at FTO, I thought it was a great idea. And they took it. Uh, Dan Green, the executive director of NAFTO, the National Association of FTOs, uh, chose us from a wide field. And I thought it was a pretty good um, presentation over two days. Well, what'd you think of the feedback? What was your impression? Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought we had awesome back and forth with field training officers. You know, no surprise to us. They're among the uh, most passionate and brightest. And, um, you know, it was, it was really a great experience for me. It kind of helped me connect a few dots as well. And I was very happy to team up with you and, um, you know, and get some of that information out there. And I think one of the big things we brought really is just this idea that we have this front row seat daily in our college classrooms to the same age group. Uh, that um, that our field training officers are, are now uh, training, and we were able to kind of um, again connect some dots for them. And uh, yeah, it was great back and forth. And uh, I would do it again in a heartbeat, as a matter of fact. 
Yeah, no, it was fun. And I mean, the feedback from a lot of these officers, I think it's great. Number one, that they're at a conference, they're lifelong learners, they want to learn different techniques, better techniques, because uh, retention is so valuable today with, you know, the the recruitment uh, numbers that we're getting. So uh, retention is just as important as recruiting. It should start from the very beginning. Uh, what types of instruction could keep those recu- recruits uh, wavering in the margins, those ones that are sitting on the fence? Uh, you and I talked about the different profiles of candidates. Uh, what should we be doing? Yeah, you know, I think there are many, many answers to this question, but one answer of many is instruction that facilitates an openness, um, you know, and that was kind of a recurring theme between the FTO and the recruit, you know, this idea of great communication, being a high communicator, um, and instruction that allows for errors as learning tools. Um, you know, in other words, I, I want my recruit to know that mistakes are going to happen, and um, even I will make mistakes, but that we're going to capitalize on errors to learn as much as we can from them. And I think that old adage really holds true that we learn so much more from our mistakes, particularly if the outcome was especially impactful and maybe even stung a little bit. And when I was thinking about that, I remembered a time um, that I'll never forget when I was wholly unprepared for uh, being cross-examined on the stand. And it made me think of that um, Warren Buffett quote, right? Like only when the tide goes out, do you discover who's been swimming naked? But I tell you what, from that point forward, um, I never forgot to do the most detailed narrative that I could. And uh, I carried that with me into field training as well. Like we really kind of set the stage that, okay, we're going to make these errors, but we're going to definitely gain from those errors. And um, another type of instruction that we talked about that we agree works particularly well, both in the classroom and on patrol is that heuristic pedagogy. So um, in heuristic learning style, the teacher or the FTO in this case acts as almost like a guide. So he or she would present the recruit with a problem um, or perhaps, you know, the the nice part about being a field training officer is that the problems come to you in the form of calls. Um, And then, you know, you kind of stand back and allow the recruit to work the problem out to its logical conclusion, Um, of course, as seen and officer safety permits. But it's almost like your, I think of it as like your dad's hand on the back of the bicycle seat just after you've gained enough confidence and skill to take the training wheels off. So that guiding hand is still there, but we're allowing the recruit to feel maybe some imbalances, um, manipulate the controls and that sort of thing. And at the end of the day, this heuristic pedagogy encourages critical thinking and creativity to solve problems. And that's something we're always looking for from our from our recruits. Yeah, I think your, your first point really resonates with me and that communication, clear communication is so key. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I are from different generations, right? Yes. I am a boomer and you're a, a millennial. Yes. Uh, and we, we entered into the profession at different uh, eras. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm going to offer that in mine, we had FTOs who sat there and said, shut up and watch or they said, okay, all on you, or forget about what you learn in the academy. It's all different here, you know, sink uh-huh. or swim. Oh, and, for sure. You know, hopefully the day of the stoic, non-communicative FTO is long gone. And I think what, what we try to stress is, look, these are the learning styles of these um, you know, Gen Zers and millennials that are coming in uh, to the academy how do we reach down to them with, with 
learning styles that they're familiar with. And you and I both share the background of being a police officer, being an FTO, and then teaching at university and seeing what works. And they're, they're two different um, you know, entry points between yeah. college and, and a police agency. And one is where we teach um, all comers sign up. And if they can either get a scholarship or a loan or if education's free wherever they're at, we take all comers. But in, in FTO, uh, we, we've taken, we've, we've assumed recruits or candidates that have gone through a process, they really want this. And so it's, it should be that our teaching style should focus on them and just keep giving them the information, asking for feedback and clarifying. And, and we talk about pre-test and post-test and narrative mm-hmm. driving and all these things mm-hmm. that can give the FTO a chance at an assessment of their recruit. And I think we heard a lot of, of that at the, at the conference. Um, when we've seen recruits wash out, whether they wash out from the academy or even during FTO, um, several studies uh, or surveys say that personal reasons is the number one answer or excuse that, that they say when, when they have their exit interview. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear that, what comes to mind when you hear that personal reasons as a, as a reason for dropping out? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great and poignant question. Um, I think with any of these questions that, that we're posing today and that we pose in our presentation, the basis for effectiveness really comes from understanding the reality that today's recruit has grown up in, the reality of what their education was like, maybe even parenting styles. And you, you have to figure, so between the last, let's see, 20 to 25 years, let's say, um, you know, think about society and think about the really just a holistic view of how, how these folks grew up. But this question in particular with personal reasons, um, I want to bring to light something that I think is not being discussed very much. It's certainly something we discussed, but you know, this question gives us the opportunity uh, to consider some of the harsher realities facing today's recruit. And as we've said, these personal reasons um, is a catch-all, right? And I think in the interest of recruitment and retention, we do have to examine that more closely. Uh, But one of these things that has really grabbed my attention when I speak to my own students um, who are simply studying criminal justice and also recruits in the academy um, is something that I've also seen mirrored in other reporting and research. And that's this kind of lack of support that many recruits face on their journey to becoming a police officer. And the lack of support, I think, you know, certainly comes from certain segments of society on the whole, but a more personal and painful experience that I'm hearing is that, um, is that experience of the recruit who is not getting support from their loved ones. And like to be candid in my own opinion, and it is my opinion, I I do believe that the anti-police narrative, false one-sided narratives about policing on the whole as put forth by the media, certain groups, celebrities, athletes, they've taken their toll um, as intended, unfortunately. And this is what immediately comes to mind when you say personal reasons, because I think if we're considering these new recruits, if they're starting off this whole journey with this bombardment of negative messaging, and then we add a lack of support from those that they love and respect, they're really starting the academy and their FTO programs with this added weight on their shoulders that I think, um, you know, is going to trickle down and may eventually become 
too much, right? In, in addition to all the normal and expected stressors that new officers have. Um, but certainly you can see where, where that might impact learning. And we heard repeatedly from many of our participants uh, this, this hesitancy, right? This hesitancy that they're seeing in the recruits to engage, um, particularly in use of force scenarios because it's almost like, oh my God, like I, 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 I don't know if I should really be doing this. Like, can I really put my hands on this person? And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think that is coming from, from the messaging. And, um, you know, it's almost something that we have to keep in mind as, as, as we train them, because it's, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, yeah, you're it, you know, you're, you're the person to call, but, you know, kind of bringing that back around. Um, I'm just considering all of these kind of outlier things that we maybe don't discuss when we're talking about personal reasons. And this is really one, that lack of support and this messaging that they're getting that, that has really, really gotten my attention. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've probably done the same type of training over 40 years or so mm-hmm. with, with a few exceptions, right. With technology, virtual reality, and things like that. Uh, fats machines, mm-hmm. um, you know, machines that will document your, your, um, response to scenarios and things like that. But I think sometimes, you know, there's that disconnect between the HR or human resources part of the department and then the academy and then FTO. It's not a seamless transition between the three. And when we do have these recruits, and sometimes there's some real head scratchers, right? We get a recruit that bails out, says, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. Exit interview, they say personal reasons, and then we accept it. I think- Mm -hmm. It, you know, it would be awesome if we could do a more thorough investigation. Well, tell us what, what you know, can you tell us the personal reasons? Right. And you and I talk about the imposter syndrome, and it's very mm-hmm. real, very real um, in these people that apply that they're not sure they might need a little prodding from their um their recruiter to say, no, no, you can do it. And, you know, come try the PT workouts, take a couple of the practice tests, they get enough courage, they enter, but they still have that self doubt. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, you know, they, they're just so fearful that they're not going to be able to get a job if they wash out, or they'll have this negative experience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what the head scratchers are the ones where they bail out and they've been doing great. And, and they just don't see it, you know, internally, they don't realize they're keeping up and they're doing actually a pretty good job where externally we as FTOs or or other people in the department say, wow, this is going to be a star. And then inexplicably they quit. And I think that, you know, those are the people that need that extra push, the mentoring, Mm -hmm. the modeling uh, to bring them back on board. Um, And you know, I'm sure some of our listeners are going to say, oh, really, we're going to start coddling these these right. recruits now. Is that the answer? Do we need them? Well, um, I think they're a product of society, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we do need to adjust the way we reach out to these people. Yeah, agreed. And we've talked about, and you have had guests on, on the podcast with this high-touch recruiting. And yeah, you know, in one of the conversations we had uh with in, in our session was, was this whole idea of like, whether we like how like Gen Z is engaging or not, we came to the conclusion, I think as a group that it's a reality. And that's kind of what you're saying there. And, um, 
you know, that we have to, if we want to be successful, if we want to increase retention, if we want to attract people to the field, this concept of like meeting these folks where they are and acknowledging, yeah, uh, feedback, communication, praise, right? These are all things that, um, again, whether or not we agree or like it, um, it's it's kind of like this this pill that has to be swallowed um, if, if we're really going to, um, yeah, like you said, they, they're products of society and, and they're used to being engaged in a, in a way that perhaps you or I were not, um, but, you know, forward thinking uh, as we have to be, uh, yeah, we're, we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna have to kind of um, figure that out. And I thought we had great conversations around that topic as well. Yeah. And I want to ask you, um, I want to acknowledge our sponsor, but I want to ask you, um, what, what seemed to really resonate from the responses um, that we heard at the conference? But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Coverage that goes beyond the call of duty. L3 Harris XL series portables and mobiles are designed by and for frontliners who lay it on the line every day. LTE, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS, and phone app-based devices expand your coverage and keep you connected in the most challenging situations. Schedule your demo today. Learn more at www.l3harris.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Dr. Janae Gasparini, Police One writer, current police officer, and former FTO and on faculty at SUNY. So what what resonated uh, with you from the audience participation at the conference? Yeah, I mean, really, the, I think the number one thing was what we were just talking about, just kind of coming to this uh, realization that, um, you know, we must deal with the reality that we're facing. And we also, I think, just to add to that a little bit, um, I think what was really great was that we also identified things that were truly positives, right? Like, uh, Sure, maybe in police culture, we're not used to new folks asking why, right? And I think there was even a comment like, well, I don't really even owe you an answer. You've only been here for five minutes. But, you know, with Gen Z, they want to know why. And is that a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I think it's a great thing. And and it also keeps us on our toes. We're, you know, having fresh eyes and fresh ears can be such a great tool. Um, And maybe in answering those why questions, you're kind of like, you know what, I, I, that's a great question. I, I don't know why we do this. You know, maybe we need to look at this. Um, so that was kind of like a, the, the big takeaway for me. And I was re- really heartened by that because we had roomfuls of field training officers that were receptive to that and, and you know, willing to, to engage that. But uh, the other thing that stood out to me as well was, oh, I mean, and, and it came up repeatedly, was um, FCO programs needing to be in lockstep with the academy. And to be more specific, Field training officers and academy instructors need to not only should, but need to strive to create a cohesive, smooth transition um, in their instruction, the way that they're communicating, the expectations that they're communicating uh, across the board. And we were hearing from many of the FTOs that they either had no idea what was going on in their academies. They kind of get these new hires and they're kind of like, what has been going on for the last six months or or however long the academy was? And um, or uh, we were hearing that they, as FTOs, did not agree or like what was happening. And that communication pathway is, is huge. And that's something I think that needs to be forged. And uh, uh, it should be like cohesive throughout. And we, we were kind of mentioning that before. 
Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I, I listened to what you said at the beginning of the why, right? The, mm-hmm. When the candidate would ask why or the recruit would ask why. And one of our uh, attendees said, you know, like you said, they, they're not owed an answer. But right. I think uh, the question comes from curiosity rather than confrontation. Right. And uh, we, or at least I did when I came up, if I asked the question, it would be the the stock answer would be because we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. But when we worked that question out in the, in our, I think it was our second presentation. Uh, I think it really resonated with the audience when, when it was um, framed in a situation where we were trying to push across a policy, right? So a new right. use of force policy or a new um, something new, we had to put in reports or another box to check that, if we just sent it down, if command sent it down as an edict and it went from chief to mid-management to captain, lieutenant to sergeant to roll call, you'd have people walking away or sergeants submarining it by saying, here's another one, right? That you, if sure. there's no explanation why we're going to change things up, there's a, there's a, tend to be a resistance to it. And I think once they realize that the FTOs I think it clicked in some of their heads. I could see them having that aha moment. Yeah, definitely. Because it applies across the board. We we kind of all, I mean, intrinsically, we're cops. We all want to know why, right? So, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, and, and you, get, you get buy-in when you explain the why, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So we had uh, Dan Green. Uh, I, I interviewed him at the conference and his mm-hmm. podcast was aired a few weeks ago. And uh, he's he's a really great guy, talked about his experience as an FTO, talked about his experience with his own FTO at the time. Uh, you know, the pyramid gets uh, narrower at the top when you take on the role of a police officer or you get rank. The further you go into the job, you, you're getting further up that pyramid top where you're losing friends along the way or... Sure you know, you're, you're running solo and being an FTO is not so rewarding at some departments. I heard, you know, through the, the, the conference talking to different FTOs that they were not well uh, compensated for being an FTO. What are the upsides to choosing to apply to be an FTO? Yeah. I mean, by all means, I think it takes a special person. Um, But I also don't, I can't think of a more important role, um, like a side role for any police officer to have. And I know that for me, it was always about that love and gravitational pull toward teaching and mentoring. But I also think um, in addition to that, because of course that's, that's everything. And I think the podcast with Dan Green, if, if, if folks haven't listened to that, he really underscores that well. So I won't be repetitive, but um, from a personal growth standpoint, I also think it's a great stepping stone should you want to get into the education and training side of the house. Um, but in my case, because I was an FTO, my chief um, over here in the town of New Paltz, um, he then rewarded me by sending me to the New York State Police Instructor School. And that certification allowed me to teach at the academy, you know, teach in-house, and it kind of grew from there. And I do run into a lot of uh, a lot of police officers because I'm sure you do as well, Jim. They, because I teach at the college setting, a lot of them are thinking about something like that for retirement. And um, I think that's a great way to start. Uh, I also, I've also run into former students who are now police officers that want to get into school resource officer work. 
And uh, it really is kind of just a, a great foot in the door for anything instructional. Um, and it also, if you're that teaching and mentoring type and you are, you know, full stakes in the future of your department, I can't think of a better way to, to mold and shape that future. Yeah, and I think, you know, it gives you a promotional experience, right? In, oh, for sure. In supervision. Yeah. I mean, you're super, you're essentially supervising your recruit. Um, yeah, there's the self-improvement aspect where, you know, if you just walked off the street and think, hey, I'm going to take a recruit for a ride and, and instruct them, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be optimal. So it would cause for some self reflection and Mm -hmm. some improvement needed maybe in some areas of policing that you're not so strong because you're going to pass it along to a a recruit, you know, maybe, you know, a DUI or a a sex case uh, investigation or things like that, Mm -hmm. that required a little more nuance, Uh, you would seek to make personal improvements along those lines. uh, So you could pass that along. And I mean, you're molding, you have a chance to mold a positive member of your agency as an FTO. And uh, I mean, my hat is off to FTOs and school resource officers and people that, that take on a, a specialty. I mean, mm-hmm. number one is your patrol officer, right? Goes out there and, you know, they are uh, jack of all trades, right? They can handle any situation. Awesome. But also when you get into these specialties, um, you know, whether it's special operations, SWAT, SRO, FTO, um, they all require a commitment. And uh, I think you get a, a, another um, level of police officer when, when they get this kind of experience. Uh, and you're right, Dan Green pointed out all the reasons why uh, you should be an FTO and the advantages to it. Um, training in general, it's expensive and it's time consuming. How can an agency train their personnel in a meaningful way? I mean, are we given enough resources and tools to FDOs to do a, an effective job? I mean, I think that's going to depend on the apartment, but the, excuse me, the department, but largely uh, I think the feedback we got at the conference was no. Um, but I think that some things that we can do that don't require a budget per se is, um, and I think this is true with all training, the right people doing the training and the instructing and the right science um, are really the answer. So especially with a field training officer, we've already said it, it's no secret. You need your best people out there in that role. Um, It's just so important. And the right and best people will just by virtue of who they are, uh, their goals, their values, their mission, it pays dividends up front when you have those folks training the future of your department. And the other thing that we always come back to is relying on the science or the data, you know, for what actually works. Um, you know, everyone that came to this conference, I think we all brought home lots of different ideas. And, uh, you know, a lot of the instructors had resources. I know we provided our, our uh, field training officers with, with a whole resource page um, that, you know, it doesn't cost anything to look this stuff up. And, uh, you know, things are changing all the time. Like we don't just shoot at a paper target anymore. Right now we have the most advanced virtual reality training you can imagine. So likewise, in terms of field training and recruits, like you said before, we don't just pull out the forget everything you learned in the academy, shut up, sit down, be quiet, look at me, watch me. Um, you know, we don't pull that card out anymore because we know it's not effective, right? So, you know, so what is effective, right? And we've talked about all these different things and kind of encompassing and uh, dare I say embracing uh, this, this Gen Z uh, reality um, that, that's at our doorstep now. Um, 
but certainly I think it takes an open mind and again, the right people and always, always, always leaning into the data. And one thing that I thought was really cool and it kind of came across all when I was just reading through the topics at the, at the FTO conference, this infusion, um, which was long overdue, we're seeing it just rapidly pick up now, this infusion of um, criminal justice related things, policing things, social sciences, sociology, psychology, how the brain works, how do we best learn? You know, we're, it's, it's really, and that's what makes, uh, you know, NAFTO such a great agency because they, they're, they're propagating that really and they're, they're bringing that all together. So I think that's, that's the foundation of what is effective. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if, you're, if you are listening and you're an FTO and you're not a member of NAFTO, I would check out their webpage, uh, nafto.org. And uh, finally, I want to wrap it up with technology. And I know you are a proponent of gamification. I, I've seen you write about it. And we, you talked about it at, in our presentation. Uh, how's gamification or, or what kind of technology works best with today's recruit? Yeah, so so with gamification, I think, uh, and this is another great thing because all of the, you know, huge corporations have already done research on this. Um, you know, just the way it's everywhere. We know um, the reality of Gen Z is is this kind of like video game culture, um, and in that, as as these folks you know come into adulthood, um, we look at different apps on your phone. We look at different platforms on the internet, and gamification and kind of making things akin to video games has some as something that has been very effective for engagement. Um, and one of the other things kind of somewhat moving aside from gamification, but the other thing that we really hit on in terms of technology, and this is something that Jim, you and I brought directly from our, from our classroom experiences. We know for a fact that um, our students are, are uh, I think I had made a comment that I assumed that they had laptops and that sort of thing, but they're really doing so much of their work, including reading their textbooks, including writing papers on their cell phone. So one of the things that we offered um, as one of the most effective uses of technology for learning and training is sharing anything and everything possible as an FTO in a smartphone friendly format. All right. So, I mean, they're using it. They're so washed in it. And, and uh, one of the things that we suggested, if there's a training point you'd really like to drive home and you can find a video about it, send it to them, all right? It's all in the flow for them to fit training into mobile device size chunks and uh, kind of capitalizing on, on knowing that little trade secret. I mean, I'm still amazed. Uh, I'm still amazed with what students do on a, on a cell phone. Uh, but there was so much with technology. You talked about virtual reality, for example, and that sort of, that sort of end of things. Yeah, and I think, I think we are seeing more and more agencies moving to app type platforms, right? Yes. Whether they're, you know, sending out roll call information or bulletins that you can open up on your phone. Uh, you know, we, we have wellness programs like Cortico that, you know, you can do a step-by-step on their uh, app on your phone um, communication, of course. Uh, so, yeah, I think we are tending to go to these technology devices that are more user-friendly with people that are more familiar with, with using those platforms. Yeah. So uh, we're going to come out with an article uh, to come to to talk about what we've talked about today and then actually put it into more bulleted points of what really works in a university setting that should for, work. For, right. For both auditory and visual learners, we've got this podcast. We've got our articles. We're practicing what we preach here. So <laughs> absolutely. And, yeah. and I want to give our last disclaimer, which is 
uh, it's not quite the don't do this at home or don't try this at home. But when we talk about these different uh, learning and teaching methods, we never, ever, ever want to compromise officer safety in taking time to do a multiple choice quiz with your recruit while somebody's you know, attacking you with a knife or firing at you, right? So let common sense be your guide. If you're in a critical situation, uh, you need to handle it. They need to follow commands. They need to do what they learned in training. And then, you know, once the thing's controlled, once you've settled, then you can offer that feedback. And, uh, you know, if, 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 I don't think anybody would respond well in a critical incident with somebody yelling instruction in your ear or, Hey, don't forget to do this dummy that you're going to remember this later, right? You're in, you're in your own little tunnel at that point. So when the situation's calmed down, when it's settled, that's the time to meet and say, what'd you think of your performance? What would you do, do differently? Did you ever think about trying this or this or this? That's the best time. For sure. And that's the, that high communication that they're not only used to, but that they're looking for. Yep. Hey, thanks for being on the show again, Dr. Janae Gasparini, a great colleague from Police One and all the the tremendous things you're doing with uh, your own uh, police agency and in teaching tomorrow's law enforcement officers. Yes. And likewise, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to be here. And like we always say to uh, everyone Jim and I interact with. If there's anything we can help you with or or do, please be in touch. We're always happy to help. For sure. Hey, to our audience, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Hey, let me know what works, what you'd like to hear from or about who you'd like to hear from. Uh, I'm getting some great ideas from listeners. So uh, let us know. It's for you. And hey, stay safe and talk to you again real soon. I'm Jim Dudley.